This is, uh, I think this has to be one of my favorite topics, the Holy Spirit. And we've just been through Easter, we've been through uh, the, you know, the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and really the gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is, uh, I think, the reason for everything God did through Jesus, that God so loved the world, we read it in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, die, be separate from him, but have eternal life, which means life with him, not just when you die physically, but when you die spiritually, which means when I say yes to Jesus, I die spiritually and say, Jesus, I want you to live in my heart and live in my life. Because God's desire for all humanity is that we actually live filled with him all the time. And we should have lost the plot. And so uh, for years and years, we struggled and fought and and did our own thing. And we continue to do that in so many ways. And God continues, like any parent, they never give up on their children, continues to seek out the lost. And we have the strange, Christianity has struggled, uh, you know, always to explain what do you mean by God? Because when, when the early church began, it was, uh, you know, the Greeks believed in every God. They had no problem. The Romans had no problem. Worship whatever you God you like, as long as you say, Hail Caesar. Then the church came in and said, as long as you say, Hail Mary. That's a joke. That's not really serious. We as humans have this ability to always try and get wrestle back control. And uh, it's hard to, to say, how do you explain this God? He's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, and sometimes, you know, we pick our favorite ones. Some people say, I love Jesus because he's kind and he's good. I don't like the Father. I'm a bit scared of the Father. For years, I didn't know who God was in terms of a Father because my background wasn't a generous one. It wasn't sort of one of um, God is good and he's kind and he's going to spoil me because my earthly father, he was good and kind in his way, but he didn't know how to be generous. And so I never believed if I was happy, God couldn't be happy with me. Because if I was happy, I was probably doing something wrong. And we have, uh, you know, we, you know, I, some 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 of you have told me your stories of of how you've encountered God, and you 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 felt every time you did something, God would just be disappointed with you. There are all kinds of ways that God has become distorted, and so many many people you talk to say, I just believe in God, I just don't like this, and they fill in the blank. That's why it's always good to say, where do you get your information from? How did you come to this conclusion? How did you come to see God like this? And it's usually through experiences. And sometimes we give our negative experiences the last word rather than let them be a revelation of what we've just learned that God is not. He's not like that. And so we needed revelation. We need God, needed God breaking in. And very often you find people in our culture, we watch a movie, we read a book, and by the time we're 20, we've worked out our theology. Whether it's atheist, whenever I say atheist, I have to say, do you know how to stop an atheist being an atheist in three minutes? It's really easy. I'll remind you of what it is. An atheist says there is no God. And if you want to be polite, you say, oh, that's interesting. If you don't want to be polite, you say, I thought you had a brain. Because if you think, you cannot defend the atheist position. Here's the reason. Is life made up of lots of different experiences? Have you experienced every experience there is to experience in life? Is it possible that God might be in one of those experiences you have not yet experienced? You're an agnostic. You don't know. You're not sure. That's all. There's a, and so this whole thing of the, the Holy Spirit, so people like, you know, other people um, will like uh, the Father because he's kind and he's good and God loves all good people and all good people go to heaven and, and God, is, you know, God, you know the story. 
and then you have the, the, the superstition of its God and everything else. Somebody said this, the man who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. We who are finite, finite cannot comprehend God who is infinite. We try to illustrate the concept of the Trinity, but the attempt is wholly inadequate. Trinity means God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the first four centuries, they were trying to say, how do we explain this God who we don't really understand in our language? And how do we explain that this God isn't three separate gods, which the Greeks want us to do, but it's one God? And so you have, how do you have three gods in one God? And so they spent a lot of time trying to give, a, a, give intellectual and, and thoughtful explanations for the declarations that were being made, which is really important. And so that somebody said, uh, for example, I would say that a man has a body, a mind, and a spirit. Which one is the man? Or I could describe H2O as a liquid, a solid, or a vapor, depending on whether it was water, ice, or steam. Which one is H2O? Or a man is a husband, a father, and a son, yet he is one man. No illustration is adequate. At best, it can only suggest what God is like. So we acknowledge that uh, our terminology around Christianity is something that we struggle with. Uh, but the best that the Christian church has come up with is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the personalities of God. And Jesus, when he came, was coming really to share with us how we can understand this creator God, who in the Old Testament was a superpower, as it were, but he was pretty distant. So, for instance, if we look at John 14, which is what we are looking at this today, because we've just come back from the uh, Anglican conference, which is actually really, really good, really encouraging. I think it's a movement that's slowly, incrementally, you know, growing. 25 years ago, if I'd been to something in the Anglican Church that looked like that, I would have been thrilled. We talk about Jesus all the time, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit all the time this week. And one of the teachings was out of John 14. But if, I, if you turn to John uh, 14 and, and listen to from verse 9, I'm just going to change one word. Anyone who has seen me has seen God. How can you say, show us God? Don't you believe that I am God? I am in God and that God is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is God living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in God and God is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. If you take Father out and you change it with God, you lose something, don't you? And what Jesus was doing was speaking to a people who God had become this power, but he wasn't personal. And many in our culture, it's the same thing. God is out there. He's somebody I might believe in. But as soon as you start saying, what, what do you believe? What difference does it make? Well, I didn't kill anyone. And so Jesus came to do something radical. He came to break open the veil and break open the heavens and say, God is good. And that is not just a bumper sticker. God is good. He's kind. He's gracious. He's generous. He's for you. He's not against you. And most of us go, there's, there's got to be a catch. Because I know me. And God says, I, I also know you. And so the way you, 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 you grapple with that is look at your own life and the relationships you have. Look, for those who are parents, look at how you respond to your children. Sometimes they're real jerks because they take after you. And sometimes what they do causes you great pain. And if you have got any reasonable parenting skills in you, you will not abandon them. You'll wrestle for them. In us, we have the image of God in a very broken form. In other words, if you who are evil know how to unconditionally love your children, how much more do I love you? And so the beginning of 
growth as, as a Christian is understanding that you are a son and a daughter who is much loved. And it's got to move from here to here. It's a lifetime journey. Pretty much like a spiral effect. You learn one thing and then you learn another thing and you thought you'd learned it and you still haven't learned it. And then you go, you, you, you know, everything's going right and you go into another context and, you, and you, you regress and you go, I thought I'd dealt with that. Anybody had that experience? I thought I'd dealt with that. And you go, you did then and now you're dealing with it here. It's just an ongoing process of allowing God to go deep into us. And so Jesus came to his disciples and he started talking about the Father. He said, the Father is in me and I am in you. And I don't do anything without the Father. And they got some of it, but they didn't get lots of it. It took a long time for them to get what he was trying to say. And so what he was trying to say was manifest in what he did. What he was trying to say with his mouth, he lived out in relationship with them. Because sometimes, in fact many times, the way we live with people is much more eloquent and powerful than the way we speak. We need both. And the beginning of freedom with Christianity is when you realize that the way you live is never going to live up to the way you speak. You say, well, that's hypocritical. You say, no, I'm just a work in progress. So how, do you know how to, how to get around the fact that there's a disconnect between the way I live and the way I speak? It's easy. Just acknowledge it. Which doesn't give you license. It just means this is what I'm working with. This is what I'm wrestling with at times. See, the worst are these nauseating Christians who pretend they're good, but everything in them or lots in them doesn't, there's disconnect. And the most encouraging thing to people is to see that there's hope for them because of what God is doing in you, even though you're not perfect. Your screwed up life can actually be an asset in the proclamation of Jesus. Because you just basically say, I'm still a work in progress. I've been doing this in front of you for seven years. Isn't that wonderful? For you and for me. Because if we have to wait until we're worthy, if we have to wait until we're perfect, none of us would do anything. And Satan's great attack on us is saying, look at you. I know what you like. And I go, yes, and I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me and he rose again and he's actually redeeming me. So get lost, go to hell. But Jesus, you know, the, the thing that he was doing was, uh, let's read, I'm, I've kind of been busy all week, so we're just going to see where we go today. But I love this topic. We could spend all day on this. When you become a Christian, when, you beca- when do you become a Christian? I'll, I'll show you this. I like illustrations. This is a very difficult one. This is, um, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want with it. I don't believe in God. I believe in me. I believe in uh, God blesses those who bless, you know, those who work hard get what you know, God, what's the word? God honors those who helps them. Yeah. Yeah, he's helping me to forget that, so I'm glad. I just <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. Uh, you know, it's kind of that half-truth and kick out the one that you have to do something, but it's not a merit thing. So it's a closed system. It's called a closed system in philosophy, that everything that has meaning in my life is within my ability to understand it. The, my understanding of the world and the comprehension of the world starts with me and philosophy that says this is the meaning we give to it and that becomes the reason we exist and everything I can't explain or I can't actually process doesn't really exist to a superstition. And I believe in science and science is factual and therefore that what you can see and touch and taste is what is true. It's, it's, it's nonsense but we believe it sincerely and we don't have time to do a whole philosophy class. When you become a Christian, 
And I was sitting next to somebody yesterday at uh, in Richmond Emmanuel, and they were going to do they're doing baptisms t- today. And I uh, we had worshipped, and I sat down next to a girl. Her name was Amy, actually, and and she was a little Chinese girl, and she was going to get baptized today. And and I said, so so you know, we, we had to share with each other. And she said, um, you know, everybody is out for themselves, and everybody's about doing stuff for themselves, and we need to learn about God through reading the Bible and stuff. She was very much a young Christian, but she was certainly saying that's what she wanted to do. And there comes a point in life where you begin to say, this doesn't actually, this isn't maybe working. And you might come to the point where somebody says, you know, uh, God so loved the world that he came to give you life. And the beginning of life is beginning to say, I need openness to something beyond myself. I need to break the self-circuit and I need to become open to something bigger than me. And that's what the disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, he said, come, follow me. And he began to help them disconnect from things that made them self-sufficient. Even in religion, there's lots of religion like this. And they began to follow him and he began to show them life. And they didn't get it all, but they began to experience relationship. And they began to experience and witness him doing things. They just went, how did he do that? And they saw people healed and they went, how did they do that? And the people who were healed said, how did they do that? And it wasn't a literate culture. In fact, the ones who were literate were the ones who said, oh, it must be smoke and mirrors. And look, everybody's following them. Oh, the masses, they, they just emotionally, but they come back and say, but I, I, I couldn't walk and now I can walk. They said, how does a man that looks just like me do that? And Jesus tells them in John 14, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And I don't do anything without him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe, listen to this, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. What would it be like if you, have to, if you had to have evidence of the work in your life? Somebody has to be healed through you. Otherwise, why, how can you be a Christian? What, what, what do you feel when I even say that? I tell you what you feel because it's what I've felt. Well, it's just not my gift. That's the first one we say. Um, Well, I'm shy and it's it's not... I'm probably going to jettison everything I want to say because I just want to do... I just want to hang with this. But I want to just say something to you and then I'm going to answer that question. The Spirit lives in us because God has said that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this. He says, uh, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, which in the Greek means I will will do the works that I have been doing which in English means will do the works that I have been doing. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I will not leave you as orphans. How many of you are orphans in your spirit? I know orphan spirit very well. It's been half of my life. Orphan spirit means I don't think there's anyone anyone who cares for me. Orphan spirit means I don't have a a very deep experience of parents, so I I sort of have to bring myself up. Orphan spirit means um, I live out of a poverty mindset if I never have enough. And orphan spirit means it all relies upon me and I'm not good enough. I don't have the background or the advantage of you, and so therefore I can understand why you would, but I can't. Lots of us wrestle with the orphan spirit. And Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. 
I will, c- I, I will come to you before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. There's an, a clue right there. What he's talking about is supernatural. So if you naturally try to approach what I'm talking about right now, you'll never get it. We're trying to use words to help us get to something we can't naturally get to. And then we have to jump. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Listen to this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's a promise in John 14:23. I will make my home in you. Me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's kind of crowded. And so the question comes like, you know, what's it like living in you? Again, we live in a culture where we think to become a Christian is the end of the story. Saying yes to Jesus is the beginning of relationship, is the beginning of another way of living. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they live in you because you said, Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. In other words, my self-centeredness, my rebellion. It might have been ignorant, it might have been sincere, it doesn't really matter. I was lost and now I'm found, I think. And now I've got to be on my best behavior because I call myself a Christian for the rest of my life. And I can't have sex before marriage and I shouldn't take drugs. And if I do any of that, I better not get caught or I've got to work it out again. And I live under guilt and I live under a lot of striving. And the other people often seem to have more fun. And it goes on and on and on. And that's because we have received Jesus into our lives and the Father and Holy Spirit have come into us, but they can't get, into, they can't get out of it. We kind of lock them into a little religious cupboard. And Jesus said, when, when I'm going to the cross so that you, the barrier of sin will be broken so that I can actually pour out my spirit, which is the secret of what I do. Because they go, how did you do that? And he says, you will do what I'm doing. And you say, how? And remember at the end of, the, of Luke, he tells them after that he's appeared to them and he's let them touch him. And he's uh, appeared to 500 people and he meets with them again. The beginning of Acts says this. And he, they met together and he says, now wait in Jerusalem until you receive power and you will be my witnesses around the world. Very funny reading commentaries on Pentecost. I was trying to look for a video clip on Pentecost. You know, most of the church is really awkward at Pentecost. They, they, they avoid tongues, which is controversial. So don't talk about tongues, which is like stupid 101. I just am so tired of it. You know, I'm not even willing to be politically correct. When I wrote Googling God, and I wrote about the Holy Spirit, Harvest House said, please take some of that out. It's, if you want your audience... So I took some out of it, reluctantly, because I was desperate. And then when I republished it, I just put it all back in again. Um, Because they didn't know what to do with tongues and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is actually the whole point. The Holy Spirit is a person. So you say, I wish I was in Galilee when Jesus walked on earth. And it would be different. And Jesus said, there are a lot of people who wish that, so I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who is a person. The Holy Spirit is the one who made me look good on earth. If Jesus was here with the Holy Spirit and the Father, they said we, we w- they would just look at each other and say, we couldn't have done it without you. They just bear witness to each other. I couldn't do it without the Father because he shows me what to do. And he shows me what to do and he says, go and heal the sick. And I say, I can't do this. I'm now in human form. I'm just like these idiots. No, he does. I mean your children. But he says, ah, but the Holy Spirit is in me and I am in him. So the Holy Spirit says, don't worry, Jesus, bro. I've got you. So Jesus lays hands on somebody. Whoa. And Jesus said, that same brother of mine is going to be released and you're going to be able to have him work in you as well if you will allow him to because he's very polite. Let me show you some of the things the Holy Spirit does. I mean, I, we could spend the next three months on 
The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. And I'll just read out some of the things that I came across. The Holy Spirit has a mind. He searches the mind and he knows the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a will. He has emotions. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit gives joy. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. You welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Thessalonians. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He's also a Spirit of Truth. He convicts. He leads those who are led by the Spirit. I don't have time to spend all... He reveals truth. He will guide you into all truth. He strengthens and encourages. He comforts. He's called the Comforter. He helps us in our weakness in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. He searches of the deep things of God. He sanctifies, which means He makes you more and more like Jesus. He bears witness or He testifies The Spirit itself bears witness within our spirit. Sometimes you hear something or you read something and your heart sort of jumps or your head goes, there's there's something here, I I can sense it. That's the Holy Spirit. He sometimes forbids and disciplines. He stopped Paul going into a particular part of Asia and he said, go this way. He has directive. He can be lied to. He can be resisted. He can be blasphemed and he can be quenched. We could spend a week on every one of those. And Jesus said, I'm going to send this one to you who has actually been the secret of my success. So that you are not, I have never asked you to be imitators of me. I've opened up a way so that you can actually be manifestations of who I am to the world. Because Judas says to Jesus, he says to him in, in John, he says, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? When Jesus had said to him, the one who loves me will love my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. And Jesus' answer is, because you are going to become what I have been. My living in you by my spirit is going to be the testimony of the fact that I am alive and resurrected. Your transformed life, your your imperfect life filled with my spirit is going to confound those who come in touch with you and they're going to say, who is this? What measure of this is in you that you should be like this, a mere man? And I'm going to say it's because the Holy Spirit lives in me and God's love and presence is within me because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? So why don't we do it? Many Christians live like this. I believe in Jesus. I'm open to him. I've asked him into my life. What's the problem? Where's the power? You can live like this if knowledge is all you need. But all the knowledge that is given in the scriptures, it's like reading a, a book about how to run a car but eventually it's got to be empowered. So how do you get power? You have to plug it into a source. This is what becoming Christian looks like. This is how Jesus lived. He said, I can only do what my Father does in me and through me, and I do exactly what he tells me. So if you have no power, and you know a lot about God, and you know a lot about what you should do, but you still struggle all the time, the first thing to do is to see whether you are connected. And where do you connect? You connect through the cross to the power of Jesus. You would plug in to Jesus. We've got way too polite. We justify our powerlessness by our theology and we justify why there's no fruit in our lives because we're just polite. And we accept religion because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And what we're actually doing is denying Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father because he said... I mean, we've had this discussion in the Anglican Church and I had it with somebody the other day. They said, you know, God just, you know, God's called me to a small church. And I just rise up with that. 
And I go, God hasn't called us to small churches. He's called us to a harvest that is huge. And he's called us to see fruit and to grow. And if we're not seeing it, we should actually have the humility to say why rather than just say, well, I'm just this kind of person. So, brothers and sisters, what is this? This is plastic. Why is this blue cover on here? Why do I need protection? Because you, if you touch the live wire, you get killed. It's like God. You touch his spirit, you'd be killed. So he reveals himself within a protective format, form. So if you plug into Jesus, now what? This is just plastic. The, the content of this, what this is made of, is almost worthless. I asked you at the beginning, you know, all the reasons we give for why God doesn't work in me. Like, for instance, healing. Okay, all of you next week should come back with one healing miracle to testify about. All right? Otherwise, don't come back to the church. Serious, just don't come back. Don't bother. You're just a hypocrite. You're a lame duck. Go, go somewhere else. There are lots of other churches that will welcome you. You're just taking up space. Now, some of you, I, I'm deliberately, obviously, offending you or teasing you. I hope I'm not offending you because then you really need to get some humor in you. But uh, what, what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get your attention. But what I just said is quite reasonable because the reason you wouldn't come back and the reason you would say, oh, John, don't be silly is because all you're going to tell me is I'm just plastic and you'll tell me all the things you are and I'll say, yeah, so is this. In fact, if you look at this, it kind of doesn't do anything. I mean, have you seen extension cords? They're not very passionate. They kind of lie around. So I'm going to plug this one in. I figure it's easier to use illustrations because they're less offensive. Um, so if I plug this in, and this is uh, meant to be light of the world, and this one says, Jesus is the light of the world, you probably wouldn't notice anything, would you? Yeah, yes, I agree. What's the problem? So what happens if this guy says, Jesus is the light of the world, hang out with me. Now this, filled with power, and not with any power, looks exactly the same. It's just lying around. The one is very powerful. You see, you have to get over yourself. You have to stop thinking that this whole thing rests on you. In fact, all your weakness and all your plastic and all the stuff that is you that says it doesn't work, is just God saying, I know, but my Holy Spirit works in you. It's my Holy Spirit that does the power, not you. You're just a bit of plastic. I, I told you the story about when I was uh, on a mission years and years ago, and I have to keep telling and reminding myself of this. And, and the, the guy said, you know, we're going to have people come up and ask them to be in, and you're going to pray for them. And I said, I'm not going to pray for them. I'm nervous. I don't pray for people. I'm totally serious about this. I, I mean, I can't do that. And he was as sensitive as I've become, and he just laid hands on me and said, uh, Jesus, in your name, just fill John with your spirit. Bless you. Now go out, brother. And I said, thank you. Shoot. I was terrified. The, the night came, we were doing this renewal weekend in, uh, in, in Durban in South Africa. And he, he, he gave this talk and, and invited people up to the front. And I was saying, God, please don't let anybody come up. Please don't let anybody come up. And some poor, you know, they all came up. And I, I couldn't do anything. other. You know, I'd been helping lead worship. So that's a good way of hiding is you just help. Um, you, you keep your guitar or whatever you've got close and then you look like you've got it together. But I have a great passion to believe that all of us have to put down all our stuff and eventually our little stubby hands have to go down and touch people. 
And so I had to go and do it, and I sat with this guy, and I felt so sorry for him because I was kind of, oh, um, gee, I can't even remember the conversation. Otherwise, other than I went home feeling very, oh, my word. I'm totally out of my depth. And I actually, now that I'm telling you this, I remember I operate quite a lot in discernment. I kind of sort of have a sense of what's going on, and I had none, absolutely nothing. It was like I was in this big black treacle, just had nothing. The next night, the same thing happened. I mean, I helped lead worship, and talk was given, invitation to come up. Please, God, let nobody... I don't want to repeat last night. And I'm sharing this with you to say, um, we have to get over ourselves, and you have to get really sick of yourself in terms of the excuses you make. I mean, I could have every one of you come up here, and I could talk to you and interview you, and we could kill every excuse you make. I mean, some of you will be making personal statements. If you get angry, you'll start judging me and you'll start getting angry with me and you'll go and talk about me because actually it's you that you need to deal with, but it's easier to blame me. That's what we do. Or we'll make some other excuse or we'll be busy or I've got to go. You know what the story is. I'm just saying you really have to come to terms with it and God will just press you until you get there. And that's what he was doing with me. He's a loving father and he doesn't want me to miss out. And if my nervousness is going to be a problem, then he'll actually put me in situations where I can't escape because he loves me. Love is not making your life pleasant all the time. That's just you controlling the stuff that should be shot anyway. He loves you enough to say, just leave him for a while. Leave him for a while. So him and Jesus look at me and go, they say he believes in me. He's in for such a shot. Look at how he's wriggling right now. He's cute, isn't he? But man, oh man. And then, and so this person comes up and I, it's a woman this time and I, and I, sit down in a pew next to her and I talk to her for a bit and I have this sense, well, you know, maybe the gift of tongues would be something that would be helpful because one of the values of the gift of tongues is it's spirit to spirit and sometimes we get so tied up. God just can release us by his spirit so that we can give expression to things and talk spirit to spirit. And uh, it's very nerve-wracking asking somebody to speak in tongues because it feels like you're manipulating and then you try to speak in tongues. I mean, that's another story I have in a little hippie coffee shop marketplace in Cape Town in 1970-something, and this guy, an ex-surfer who's been dramatically converted, sits me down and says, do you speak in tongues? I'm gonna, and I said, no, if God wants me to speak in tongues, he can make me speak in tongues. I thought it was a good answer, humble. And he said, so what about your salvation? Did you, know, did you have to ask? I said, well, yes. If Jesus wants me to be a Christian, he can make me a Christian. No, you have to receive the gift. So it was quite a good move on his part because I didn't know what to say. So he said, well, he, he gives you the gift. Why don't you receive it? And what I was really saying was, I am terrified of looking stupid, believe it or not. More stupid than I normally look. And so I would lose control and all this. And so I sat down behind this Hessian curtain and he uh, said, Jesus, I just pray for John to be filled with the Spirit and to speak in tongues. And, and, and open your mouth and speak. And I went, uh, uh, and I wanted to gag. Oh, man, it was awful. And he, I, and he says, praise God that you've received the tongue. I'll go and practice it. And I walked down that street saying, oh, my Lord, what have you done? I mean, what? I didn't feel a thing. And I knelt down my, my, my bed a few days later uh, in the back of our house one night, and I said, I don't know if this is real or not, Jesus. I just feel totally stupid. And I remember just praying in tongues. You see, tongues is like English. You can turn it on and off. It's a gift. In season, out of season, emotion or no emotion, spirit to spirit. Everything that draws you closer to Jesus. 
If I don't know what to pray for, when sitting over there, I don't know what to pray for her. I place her, she's in my heart and mind, and I ask Jesus to speak through me and pray through me for her. Two years later, I was in Swaziland working in a veterinary clinic, and I read a book by Catherine Kuhlman, and she talked about praying in tongues for people who you don't know their need for. And that, for the first time, made sense to me. And my grandmother was, I had last seen her just before I'd gone up to Swaziland in a, in a, I suppose you would call it a terminal care home. And she was like this chicken on a spit. I mean, they were just rotating her. And she was in her, I think, late 70s or 80s. And uh, I remember, th- you know, just kneeling down and, pr- well, I'm going to come back to my other story. But I, no, I better go back to the first story because this came after that. The first story was me sitting, kneeling at my bedside. And I spent 20 minutes going, and I go, this is stupid. Because I'm trying to understand what I'm saying. And of course I can't. And it sounds like gibberish. And it sounds like baby talk. And it sounds like emotional hype. And I would never even do that in front of you because I'd be embarrassed. And I said, this is useless. And I didn't look at it again for two years. And then up in Swaziland, this piqued my interest again. I knelt down and I prayed for 10 minutes for my grandmother. And I was praying for her to die. And I prayed in tongues. And absolutely truthfully, within five days, there were still mail slots at those days. Um, I went to the mail and there was a telegram. Just want you to know your grand died this morning. I don't know whether there's the connection, but ever since then, I am unapologetically saying, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're missing out on something that God has for you. I bought, you know, Fred will tell you the story of how he, he, he thought I was so non-materialistic. I'm, I'm actually saying this seriously, and it's funny, though. When I first came to Port Alberni, I came into the rectory on the other side of the house and the place was empty. It was the nicest house I'd ever lived in. And they gave me this microwave. The church did. And I kept thinking, well, shoot, I've got to pay this back. I've got to pay this back. I've got to pay it. I said, you know, don't do it. No, 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 it's yours. And I go, well, I don't need a microwave. And three months later, how did I live without a microwave? Now, that's like the gifts of the Spirit. I too often say, I don't need that. I don't need that. Well, come and talk to me. Because within 10 minutes, I'll tell you, you do. And if you don't think you need it, I'll talk to your family. And they say, you bet they do. They need all the help they can get. And the issue that's going to happen with this Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and our pharisaical thing is that we're just proud. Nothing I do up here now has been arrived at without a struggle, without having to say, God, I'm terrified of this. So we go back to later. I'm now, uh, you know, this is the year before I go to England for ordination training. And I'm up at the front and I'm talking to this woman. And I'm saying, you know, I think... Uh, I think uh, I want to tell you all these stories. Um, you know, after that mission where I... Sp- you w- where no, this was after this one. I'm getting confused. <laughs> so I'm, 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 she's sitting in the pew there and all these people are getting ministered to and I'm going, I think maybe tongues would be something that would help be helpful for you, but I'm not going to pray for you. I didn't tell her that because that would look silly, you know, like I don't know what I'm doing. So Bill, the, uh, he's the Archbishop of Cape Town, head of renewal. God has touched his life dramatically at 55, had him flat on the floor, after 30 years in ministry and said, now I'll show you mine, sort of thing, like he said to Wimbler. And his life was radically changed, spent 20 years leading the church in the holy things of the Holy Spirit. And I lived on community. That's how I came into the church. God eventually said to me, it doesn't have to be like this. I see him, he happens to be walking down the aisles. I say, Bill, could you play, pray for um, tongues for this woman, please? So he says, of course. So he sits down, talks to her and says, you know, I'm going to pray for you. Something might happen, something might not. Maybe you go home, you have a bath and God will speak to you. You know, don't worry. He just wants to fill you. He wants to give you his presence. He wants to give you all that he has for you. And he starts praying for her. And of course, I have my hand on her shoulder because that's what I'm meant to do. 
and, and God's speaking to me and he says, John, you thought... I said, he, no, he first said, John, when you pray for healing, who gets the glory? Oh, you do, Lord. And he said, you thought that if you asked the Archbishop of Cape Town to come and pray over this woman, I would listen and if you prayed, I wouldn't. I was too aware of all this stuff. And he just said really gently, he said, you just bring people to me and I'll do the answers. Just bring people to me. That's all you need to do. And it was just like he reached into me and he turned something around. And he said, you know, everything about following me is about me doing it in you. He's like the parent who gives the young child 20 bucks to go and buy them a birthday present. You know, go and buy me a birthday present. Nothing God asks us to do, he doesn't actually give us provision for. And the battle is that we keep drawing attention to who we are, which is like the container for the gas can, or the gas can saying, I, I can't possibly do this. And this is, it's what you contain, you twit. It's not what you are. So I want to encourage you in this Pentecost. What happens is that ultimately all I need to do is allow God's spirit to fill me. And I need to start looking at the fruit in my life. And instead of defending fruitless living, I need to start actually saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? Because in John 15, what does he say? My father is the gardener. And Jesus says, every branch that does not bear fruit, I cut it all. he cuts it off. Why? Because I, he wants me to bear fruit. So instead of blaming everybody else, making excuses for a powerless life, start saying, Jesus, what are you wanting to pour into me that I might become different? That's the secret of Pentecost. He had these disciples who knew everything. They'd walked with him. They knew he was resurrected. And he said, you're not getting loose in, out there without my power in you. Because just talking about me out there will not cut it in this violent society which you're going to be exposed to. Most of you are going to be killed. And you will not have the guts to die if you don't know the power of my presence in me. And that's what happened. The Holy Spirit came. They spoke in tongues. They were released what did they have? Courage. They had words to speak. Peter became an orator, believe it or not. He was a fisherman. And they had a boldness that the world had never seen. And they began to go out and speak of what they had seen and heard. You, you share what you contain. You know, we have these deep, big teachings. I'm going to finish now. We have this big teaching of, I'm going to do an evangelism workshop. It's ridiculous. You win the lottery, you don't need to go on a workshop at how to share that you've won the lottery. What is in you comes out. If you want to share your life with people, let God fill you with his presence and spirit to the point where you become excited. And if you're not excited, then get excited. How do I get excited? Ask the next question. If you're not seeing fruit in your life, come and see me. And I'm not being smart here. Come and see somebody who's doing something that you think is worthwhile and start asking them, how do you do that? And the first thing they will say is, well, you qualify because you're just like me. We're just pieces of plastic. But if we're connected to Jesus, we can hang around and people's lives will be changed. Because when the Spirit is in you, you start actually leaking the love of God. And the, the, the evidence for the Spirit in you is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and serving and caring for others. The, the evidence of the Spirit in you is not a worship service. There are many people who think that's the whole point. Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, rose again, poured out his Spirit so I can sing in tongues and, and worship. No, that's part of it. But the real evidence for it is laying down my life and serving, is turning up the stuff, cleaning the kitchen, is serving, is saying, how can I be of help? That's when you know. There are lots of people who yak, yak, yak and sing, sing, sing. 
serve, 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 and everything changes. Let's stand. Isn't that cool, though? You don't have to do everything. Just when you thought it was all about you. So why don't we kind of get rid of that excuse right now? So what's God saying to you? Just talk to him right now. Pay attention. Don't talk to anybody else. I do watch over this group every time I do this. And some people disengage almost every time. And I always want to call you up and call you out. But I won't because I'm not. the Holy Spirit in me won't let me do that. Because this is the moment for you that God says, I will fill you right now. What is going on in your heart? As I've spoken this morning, what's going on in your heart? Now, I can overanalyze what I've said and say, oh, John, you didn't speak powerfully enough. You forgot this illustration. I could fixate on all the things I couldn't do or didn't do right. But I'm actually trusting that God actually says, I can even use you, John. So I am an inspiration to you. Because if God can use me, then there's hope for you. Right? So give to Jesus. Father, I just pray right now that you expose to us the lies that we believe or the lies that are holding us back right now. Moses said, I stutter. I don't believe, you know, I I can't speak. Uh, uh, Gideon said, I'm just a small tribe. I'm just insignificant. Whatever the but is for you right now, just tell him. And then receive the opposite because he's pouring into you everything that you are lacking. So at this point, your eyes should be closed so that you can actually work with Jesus. We're only doing this for a minute, so we don't have a lot of time. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill each person. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you have said yes to Jesus, Jesus, thank you that you've died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that you have taken everything that causes me guilt. You've taken it upon yourself. And I'm only doing this because we're often so passive. Raise your hands in the air and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again. That means above the shoulders. You should be like drowning people saying, God, please. And Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit fill us afresh this morning. You've got two hands, so you can get double the load with two hands up. And just just pretend that the water is gushing into you. It's just flowing and it's raining down and it's pouring into you. And the Father says, yes, I have so longed for you to raise your hands and to say, fill me with your Spirit. And Father... Like the first Pentecost, I just ask you to pour out your Spirit on my brothers and sisters and upon me and upon this church and upon this valley. Forgive us for looking at our weaknesses. Forgive us for making excuses for what we are not. Thank you that we can contain the living God. We can host the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they have said they want to come and live with us because they see us as having a lot of potential. And we also are deeply loved by them. So Holy Spirit, come in power. Come in power. And you know, he's so kind. He says, what would you like me to work at? And he'll tell you. Or you can tell him. I want you to work at my attitude. Or I want you to work at the fact that I'm feeling dry and I don't even really want to be here today. But I want to want to be here. So just tell him whatever, because he's here to help. He's here to help. He's here to fill. Maybe you've been stuck for years and he just says, I'm here for you. So Jesus, I ask the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, will you... Just release your blessing, your presence, your power over my brothers and sisters. Give them a tangible expression of your love and your presence this week. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And just receive. Just receive. Receive, receive. There's much more God has for you. Don't don't give up where you are. He's never finished with us. And as we prepare for communion now, just thank Him. Thank Him for what He's releasing in you. 
So what you're doing now in this next minute is, res- is thanking him for answering the prayer you've prayed. He has filled you. You are filled. He's living in you. He knows that you're, you're really in your substance no more than an extension cord. So he's not under any illusions about who you are. But you have become the residence of the King of Kings. So he who is in you is extraordinarily powerful because he's not limited to you. So now you're going to say, Jesus, teach me how to live from that place where you live in me with power. So when I have to pray for somebody, I'm delighted to because I'm just the cord. And when I am asked to do something or when I send something, I'm delighted to because it's me learning about how you want expression through me and you just need somebody as a visual aid. And so all those things that I make as excuses or use as resistance to you, I just give you permission to break them down. And God will help you. He'll help you get over your nervousness. He'll help you. He'll trick you. He'll ambush you. He's mischievous. But he'll do it because he loves you. And so tell him, Father, I want an adventure with you. I'm sick of me. I'm sick of my, my fear. I don't, want to be, I don't want to live in fear and insecurity anymore. I want to live filled with your presence and your passion. I want to make a difference. I don't want to be... I don't want to be ruled by everybody else's opinions or all my limitations. I want to be a person who counts and makes a difference for you. So, bless you, Father, for all that you're doing. We even went over time today, but I guess the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit doesn't care, and nor do I. Because this is important.